0: stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the seat pocket in front of you. It's on uh, page five twenty-eight of that Bible, where our verse is today. And uh, it's uh, if you need a Bible, just be sure and take that. It's your our gift to you, so don't hesitate doing that. But we're at Ju- uh, John eighteen. Verse thirty three And you already know that, so all right everyone. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your good blessings. All of which we have received and enjoyed over and over and over again. Lord, now we turn our attention to your word and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you that it never returns to you void And, Lord, we pray right now that you would do a divine miracle to open our hearts to hear what you have said to us through your eternal word. We thank you that Jesus was the living word and that he came to us to to bring us life, to bring us truth, to bear witness to the truth, and to establish a kingdom that shall never, ever pass away. Lord, we thank you that, that you are here with us now, and uh, Lord, we pray that as you open our ears, that you would also prepare my heart and my mouth and my mind to proclaim your word accurately and truthfully, Lord God, and God without any kind of agenda or opinions infecting or polluting this word. Lord, I pray that you would just just speak through me uh, clearly and accurately. And I ask all of this in the name of our only Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, You can be seated. Uh, Well, I hope you all had a great Christmas season. It's good to see you back, and um, I am very happy to get to be able to preach to you this morning. I want—before I get started, if you will allow me to do this, I want to make a a personal uh, welcome. I have some of my uh, old friends, uh, well, I shouldn't say old, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But 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 my uh, l- l- longest duration friends, uh, Randy and Emma McDerris are here this morning with their children, and really good friends of mine. We've known each other for a long time, and, uh, and I'm so very glad that they could be here with us. Randy is in ministry in San Marcos, and uh, they're doing a great work there, and so uh, we're glad to have them. Um, I wanted to formulate uh this message uh, I, I don't know if i should say it like that that i wanted to I, I felt like i needed to i felt like i was under compulsion to formulate this message to try to prepare us as the body as the people of god for a coming year now, now it's been pointed out before that that the turn of a year is kind of an artificial New beginning, but it's kind of a neat one in that, in that it always gives us a chance to reflect and you know and, and to resolve different things. And and so I was thinking about the coming year and thinking if I were going to say something to this body, what would this body uh, benefit from? And I, and I really began to ask the Holy Spirit that. And I hope that this this morning, this message is something that will be uh, beneficial and convicting. And um, uh, uh, admonishing and, and encouraging everything that, that it could possibly be by the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, I want to give it to you in that spirit that this is all about a coming year. So we just celebrated the first coming of Jesus into the world as an infant. Born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. I hope you all, as I said, had a wonderful Christmas season. Reflecting on that, I hope the gospel was infused through everything you did. But one thing that is interesting about Christ is outside of a a singular event about the time that he was 12, there's not much in scripture about him as a child. Outside of those miraculous events, angels singing and whatnot, that surround his birth, there's nothing really of great significance about Jesus as a child that makes him stand out to the world. Those years are pretty silent. There's not a lot there uh, in Scripture. He lived like any other Jewish boy, blue-collar Jewish boy, working class, who grew up in the first century. He uh, And that, that actually continues throughout his adolescence into his early adult years. But when he turned 30, Jesus went to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And when he was there, you guys probably know the story. When he was there, he went into the water, he came up, and the heavens were literally, the Bible says, ripped apart. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the physical form of a dove. And the voice of God the Father proclaimed from heaven, This is my beloved or well-loved Son, and in him I am well-pleased. From there, that's kind of the beginning. From there, the Bible tells us that he was immediately driven into the desert to be by the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, to be tempted by the devil. And yet we see that three times the devil tempted him, three times these assaults would come of temptation, and that Jesus confidently defeated those temptations every single time by quoting to the devil the word of God. Well, it's after this trial in the desert that Jesus had that he's revealed finally to Israel. And the Gospel of Mark captures this moment very simply and yet very, very beautifully. It tells us this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. For centuries, the prophets of Israel proclaimed that, that and prophesied that he was coming. And that when he came, that he would redeem Israel from all of her troubles when he arrived. And this, this is simply the message of the Old Testament. The Christ, that the Savior, that the Messiah is coming. In all of the the, the 39 books of the Old Testament, that's the message in a nutshell. Something is coming. Something is going to happen. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and here in Mark chapter 1, he says, the time has come, what you were longing for is here. Then he says this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what Jesus is saying is that this new thing that was going to happen would not be accomplished by obsolete rules in the hands of obsolete rulers. Something different was going to happen. In fact, the, the, the very king of heaven was banging on the gates. He was right outside, ready to come in and take his place. The kingdom of God that 's what the word at hand means. The kingdom of God was right here, ready. It was imminent. It was coming. It was here. And then Jesus says this: "Repent and believe in the gospel. What he 's saying is, a response to this news is absolutely required. You are able, you can either surrender to the Lord of life and live, or you can resist him and perish. And the response that's required was simple. Repent and believe in the truth, the truth of the gospel. Now, the common people heard this. They, they heard this message, this talk of the kingdom, and it blew their minds. His teachings, the Bible says that they looked at his teachings and they said, this is so much more authoritative than what we're getting from the scribes, what we're getting from the Pharisees. So much more authoritative. And then Jesus would, on top of that, he'd produce these incredible miracles, and it would and people would just be amazed at it. And so this there began to be a buzz around Jesus, a talk, a a, a, a spreading sound around him that that this could actually possibly be the one that the prophets had foreseen. And some people even started taking to calling him the son of David. Now we talked about that last week, the significance of that. David was their most revered king and it was prophesied that someone who was a a descendant of David would come to sit on his throne forever and people start saying, I think this might be the one. This might be the one that's coming. But instead of... Ousting the oppressing Romans as the the people of his day and his area thought that he should do. Christ begins to speak of forgiving and even loving your enemies. What? He said that those who are first will be last and those who are last will be first he he said that this that, that he would start a kingdom and, and in this kingdom servants and and the word of there's actually slaves that those would be the ones the ones who would be the slave of everybody would be the ones who would be great and then he had the audacity to say that if someone comes and strikes you on your cheek to turn and offer them the other one to do the exact same thing more than that. So he's, he's redefining what Messiah, what the son of David would be, what his kingdom would look like. And more than all of that, he quickly makes enemies of the religious leaders, the guys that are in charge of the whole nation. It's a, it's a religious nation, and, and, and these guys are in charge, and he makes enemies of them. And, and those guys did not like the way that he disrupted the power structures of the established order. Jesus' kingdom would be radically different than than any type of kingdom that these people had ever previously known. I'm telling you, these leaders didn't like him. He violated the leader's idea of Sabbath observance, of prayer, of giving, of fasting. He interpreted the law of God in such a way that, that made the motivation of the heart The the, the principal thing, instead of a a legalistic focus on the actions of the hands. And Jesus offended them. and, And their solution to being offended was to put him to death silence that voice but just as it was foretold the chief priests turned him over to the romans and they demanded that he be crucified for blasphemy for fomenting insurrection and they told pontius pilate that, that they they brought him to before pontius pilate the governor the roman governor of that area of judea and they said this guy is claiming to be a king Now, I don't know how much you know about Roman empirical history. You don't claim to be a king. There is one king. His name is Caesar. You don't claim to be a king. Treasonous to claim any kind of authority like that. So Pilate was direct with Christ. He's going to get to the bottom of this. Are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus was not interested at all in self-defense. Not one bit. So he replied to to Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? He replied with a question of his own. He said, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? What is Jesus asking there? He wants to know, would Pilate, the Roman, the Gentile, would he believe, would he believe or Was he just parroting the charges that Jesus' own people had brought against him? So Pilate protested. What an insult. He said, it makes no difference to me, king of the Jews, who you are. I am not a Jew. Then Jesus, in response to that, describes his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, doesn't matter. My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my sectarian, nationalistic servants would have been fighting so that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Christ's kingdom had infiltrated this world. There was no doubt about that. The kingdom of God was at hand. But it wasn't born of any national or political power. It operated differently than Rome. It operated differently than Israel. It was different. It was new. It was better. It was based on better promises, better covenants. It was better. The main difference in these kingdoms, in these realms, was that His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, could not be won or lost by violence. Now, I want you to hear this, because that's going to come become very, very important later in the message. The kingdom of Jesus Christ cannot be won, and it cannot be lost by violence. When Christ was handed over to the Jews... His kingdom was never in jeopardy. It can't be threatened by treachery. It can't be threatened by politics. It can't be threatened by occupying armies. Christ's talk of how his kingdom works gets Pilate thinking. goes back to his original question. So if he has a kingdom, he has to think himself a king. So Pilate, putting two and two together, says, so you are a king. Now, let me pause here to explain something, a theological term. The, the study of who Jesus was in history, as well as what he accomplished in history, as well as his present significance, is called Christology. You don't know, have to remember that. I just want to explain it for the purpose of this. It, it's called Christology, the study of Christ. And Jesus' response to Pilate's question, so you are a king, is the centerpiece of all true biblical Christology. Everything is summed up that you need to know about Jesus right here. Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Informed Christology recognizes that Christ wasn't just some peasant teacher. He wasn't some Jewish insurrectionist. He wasn't a carpenter, merely a carpenter. And he wasn't a product of first century mythology. Jesus Christ is a king. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus is a king. He's in charge. He rules. He reigns. For this purpose he was born, to reign over his redeemed creation. But he would rule differently than Caesar, differently than Herod, differently than any other king or or leader. He would rule by the truth. Not by deception, not by political intrigue. He would rule by the truth. See, deception, political intrigue, those are the stock and trade of the world system. But he was born to be king for this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. Now, that Greek word for witness, you need to know this, the word is martyreo, martyreo, and it's where we get the word martyr from. Jesus is saying that he was born to be a martyr... A witness for the truth. Jesus is stating, don't lose this, guys. Jesus was stating that he would bear witness of the truth of God's love for his rebellious creation by dying for those he would redeem. He's going to prove it's true by putting his life on the line. Jesus had already told his disciples four chapters earlier in John fourteen six. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. Now he tells Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Be very wary. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, saints. If you're saved, listen to this. Be very wary of those who claim to be Christians, yet want to deny, want to edit, and sometimes even veto what God has said in his word. They are not Christians. Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said that they cannot belong to him because they do not recognize his voice. So Pilate responds with one of the saddest questions in Scripture. Jesus has come to bear witness to the truth, be a martyr for the truth. And and Pilate responds like this, what is truth? This is the question. That everyone asks when they don't know Christ. Think about our culture right now. Think about the world we live in right now. 21st century Western culture. And and think about that question. What is truth? We live in a culture that does not know and does not acknowledge basic concepts of right and wrong. Truth is so lost that many people do not even understand the basic element of whether they are a male or a female. We've lost a grasp on truth so much that we have no idea what constitutes human life. So we destroy it in the womb or we go into schools and shoot them up because we have no idea of the value of life. But the Bible says this, you want to know if you want to examine yourself and know if you're saved, the bible says this the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's where it begins and the knowledge of the holy one is insight what he's saying is if you want to know truth you have to honor the lord you have to grow in the knowledge of him this does not mean don't misunderstand me don't misquote me doesn't mean that lost people don't know anything not what it says We know that lost people, people who don't acknowledge Jesus, can be very smart in the areas of science and mathematics and medicine. They can be incredibly artistic and creative, and they can have incredible common sense. But the only path to wisdom in matters of eternal, ethical, or moral consequence is through revering. That's what the word fearing means, to fear the Lord. It's through revering the Lord and His holiness. That is what makes a person truly wise. Not a degree on your wall. It's to revere the Lord. So after this exchange with Pilate, Christ is led away. And as you know, he's crucified. But we know that the act of putting Jesus to death did not disrail and did not dismantle his kingdom in any way. On the contrary, it established it forever because it was a new covenant in His blood. And He rose after three days and soon after He ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven taking His place as the King with all authority. So that was sermon one. We'll now move into sermon two. Why does this exchange Between Jesus Christ and Pilate matter to us. Why does talk of the kingdom and power and, and and what constitutes power and what, and how Christians should view all that? How, why does that even matter? This year, looking forward to 2020, is a presidential election year. Can't you just wait for all the commercials to start? It's going to be awesome. It's a presidential election year, and so those of you who have not had your heads stuck in the sand know that our president, who was elected by a majority of evangelicals in 2016, has now been impeached by the House of Representatives, and he's awaiting his trial in the Senate. And we have a nation now, the United States of America, is literally, probably more than any other time in history, except for perhaps the Civil War, is divided left and right, right down the middle, 50-50. It's an incredible time to be alive and witness this happening. Both sides, right, left, doesn't matter, seem to be obsessed with either obtaining or preserving power. And so we... In the middle of this exchange, this crossfire, we have to to consider what Jesus teaches us about political power and how he expects his followers to view it. Y'all still with me? All of this came to a head on December 19th. This is where it became our fight. The, the, those who claim Christ, believe Christ, all this came to a head on December 19th when Mark Golly, who's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, which was a publication, a magazine founded by Billy Graham, published an opinion piece with the unambiguous title, Trump Should Be Removed from Office. Social media was soon filled with support and outrage for the article. And this article highlighted how those who were opposed to Mr. Trump see him as a morally bankrupt serial adulterer who routinely assaults anyone who challenges him in a childish, petulant manner using his infamous Twitter account. I hope I'm never on the wrong end of that. They're justifiably disgusted. This this group of people are justifiably disgusted by evangelicals who met Bill Clinton's very, public immorality in the 1990s with the battle cry of, Character Matters! And they've now, but those same people who cried, Character Matters, now respond to Trump's similar sins with a series of excuses and yawns, barely noticing what is right before him. But that's not the only side of the story. There are those who support Mr. Trump, and they legitimately support him because they're pleased with the outcome of many of his policies, including those that defend the unborn, something I am absolutely passionate about, defending religious liberties around the world, as well as his judicial appointments of people who share values common to many believers. These supporters wonder how those who are diametrically opposed to Trump as a leader, can disregard the benefit that he seems to have produced for traditionally Christian positions. So you have two sides. It's not good guys and bad guys. It's two different views, two different perspectives to look at it. So here's where we're at. No matter which side of that line you fall on, here's where we're at. We ask ourselves, what should be our response as believers, especially in light of what Jesus just said that we just read, to a polarizing fellow like Donald J. Trump? Furthermore, how politically engaged should we, the people of God, be? And how much attention should we place... How much energy should we place and give to either electing or possibly removing a leader of our country? And I think, you're free to disagree with me, but I think Jesus' words to Pilate tell us very much about that very thing. tells us a lot. All of us begin, our Christian life, if we have a Christian life, we begin by saying to Jesus, like Pilate, are you the king? We want to know if Jesus is in charge. Can Christ, does Christ have some right to demand our allegiance or make a real difference? To this question, Christ responds like he did with Pilate with a question of his own. Do you say this? Are you the king of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Jesus wants to know If you and I will take the risk of believing who he is and all that this entails, or are we simply trying to fit a mold of church, of culture, of family, will you believe that he's a king? And will your response, will the response of your heart to that kingship be one of submission or resistance? If he is to be king... Through our repentance and belief, he will not share the throne, please listen, with anyone else. Every political party and position, every political leader, every personal agenda must be surrendered at the feet of Jesus Christ's absolute sovereignty. It absolutely must. It is not a negotiable. He has certainly been crowned Lord of all. And yet each person who will call themselves a follower, who will call themselves a believer, who will call themselves a Christian, must acknowledge that, that personally. We cannot just read in the Bible that it says He is King. We must say in our hearts, You are King. When we come to this realization that Jesus Christ is King, we have to submit... To the order of his kingdom and not try to jam elements of our own kingdom into his. He will reject them outright. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't operate by Rome's principles. It doesn't operate by Israel's principles. It operates by the principles of God and the gospel. It doesn't operate by the same rules. Christ's kingdom is not about obtaining either power or authority by whatever means. It's never been about that. It's not about that. Why? Because this is unnecessary since Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What authority does he have to gain? He has it all. Jesus' kingdom operates not by the law of power and gaining power and striving for power and fighting for power. Jesus' kingdom operates on the law of love, on the law of service, and on the law of humility, not by dominating and defeating political rivals. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Christians have the wonderful opportunity, the glorious opportunity, to joyfully lay down their political weapons. Maybe I should say that again. Believers in Jesus Christ have the glorious, the joyous, the wonderful opportunity, the joy of being able to lay down our political weapons and not feel like we have to fight with them. There is nothing for which we have to fight. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Christ is even now, the Bible says, right this moment in history, putting all of his enemies under his feet, there is nothing for which we have to fight. And his enemies that still resist him, they don't stand a chance. In reality, what I want you to remember is that you, 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 I want you to know this, because I'm not talking about some theoretical person. I'm talking about you sitting in the chair right now. You are not a citizen of America if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's right. oh. You are a citizen of heaven. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, watch this, to even to subject all things to himself. That guy's in charge. He is able, he has the power to subject everything to himself. I say in reality, because all Christians are easily, all of us, nobody is guiltless in this. We're all easily distracted by things we see around us. We turn on the news, we, see, we get distracted. We hear something, something on Facebook or Twitter, we get distracted. But remember that the Bible says this. It's a beautiful scripture. It says that the things that are unseen are more real than the things that are seen. So I can look at... The Democrats, I can look at the Republicans, I can look at Twitter, I can look at Facebook, and I can say, oh, that's an illusion. That's just sleight of hand, because they're not really in charge now, are they? Are you all awake this morning? I don't think that Christmas pie is still settling in pretty hard here. Jesus is in charge. And the joy of being a follower of Jesus is that knowledge. We're not tossed about by every wind of Washington. We're not tossed about by every wind of Austin. We, we, we know who's in charge. And I know what you're thinking because I thought about it. Heck, I even wrote it in my notes. If we're citizens of heaven, then how do we regard our role as Americans because I can't call the IRS and say, I'm not sending anything in this year because I'm, (laughs) I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm requiring you to acknowledge my true citizenship. So I'm not going to send you any money this year. So how do we look at this? We're, We're stuck in this dual citizenship thing. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And yet by God's sovereignty, he's placed us in America. So what, how do we do this? We have to remember as we live here that we still have only one king. And it's not Donald Trump. It's not Nancy Pelosi. It's not the, the Congress. It's not the Supreme Court. We have one king. And his name is Jesus. And we have to... Remember that he has not placed us in America because the Bible says that he sets borders for people and he hasn't placed us in America to be citizens, but the gospel teaches us that he's placed us in America to be ambassadors. Do you understand the distinction between the two? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And he describes what the role of of an ambassador is. He says, God, making his appeal through us, And we implore you, we implore everyone on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, ambassadors live in a foreign locale, but they're not citizens of it. They're placed there to represent the interests of their homeland and to deliver messages from their government to the natives of the land. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you've been called to do. Deliver messages from the government to the natives of the land. Believers, Christians cannot afford to get entangled in the foreign politics of the world. I have got the chance to visit Mexico, Guatemala, South Korea, Austria, Belgium. I've got to, the chance to go in there, and not once did I try to vote. You with me? I never once said, "Well, I'm not happy with the way the the uh, the, the politics are going in this country." I think I'm sitting here in Belgium. I think we ought to drop out of the EU. Who do I talk to? <laughs> They'd say, dude, you're not from here. <laughs> and, and, and while I was there, it didn't even bother me. I didn't care what they did. You know why? Because in a couple of weeks, I was going to get on an airplane and I was going to come home. Because that wasn't my home. America's, no, it was my home. But see, we approach our kingdom citizenship exactly the opposite Oh, those Republicans, those Democrats are going to flush this country down the toilet. Then what are we going to do? Oh, worry, worry, fret, fret. And if we could just realize this ain't home. This isn't home. I have got a ticket, and I'll be leaving soon. And I'm going home. This place is going to do what it does, but I'm going home where the king is enthroned, Jesus is in charge, I'm going home. We don't get entangled in foreign politics. This is not our home. We have to maintain a godly distance. And I'll explain this in a minute. Probably don't mean what you think I mean right now, but we must maintain a godly distance from all the people of this world are raving about and constantly worrying about. Now this doesn't mean... This is what I was going to explain. This doesn't mean that we don't vote or that we don't voice opinions. There are things that need to be spoken up against and in favor of. Amen? Rather, we are called to promote policies consistent with the welfare of whatever place God has called us to live. If he called you to be a citizen of heaven and an ambassador to this country, he does not expect you to do things or uh, to ignore its welfare or to or to do things that are counterproductive for the society. He expects you to contribute to the good of society. Whatever that looks like, when God's people were sent into exile in Babylon for, four, for 70 years, he told them this. He said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to exile. He said, you're not supposed to be sabotaging the place and trying to burn it down from within. He said, seek the welfare of that place. It was a pagan country, for goodness sakes. And God says, seek the welfare and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, this is really important to remember, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God is saying that as we're here and we see all kinds of things that that drive us crazy because of how unjust and unrighteous they are, that he's called us to to speak up, but but to speak up more to him than we do just complaining and griping. To pray for the welfare of this place. I want America to thrive and to, to succeed and to grow and to, to, to prosper. Why? Because it's where God's placed me and I've been commanded to pray for its welfare. But as ambassadors of Christ in a foreign world, even though we're here, and we live here and this is, this is our earthly home, we are still subject, you and I as believers, are subject to the laws of our true homeland. For example, Paul says to the Romans, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Jesus' law is love. Two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, can I get really personal here? I'm going to do it. I don't really need your permission. But when you jump online, I know social media is always my foil, but when you jump online and talk about conservative-minded people politically as fascists, or if you jump online and you call people who are more liberal in their politics libtards, are you fulfilling Christ's law of love? Think about that. Think about what you've posted. Think about what you've said around the proverbial water cooler at work. And think about whether you have kept the laws of your homeland or if you've violated them. When you post mocking pictures and memes and posts of the president or the speaker of the house, Do you imagine that Christ, dying for the sins of the world on the cross, finds them as humorous as you do? We're required by God to speak out against injustice and immoral or unethical behavior, but we are required by the law of our homeland To do so with love for even those we consider our enemies. Let me read you this passage from 1st Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this. He says, first of all, pretty high priority. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me, let me put a little Bible commentary on that for you. The Lord Jesus, the God of all creation, wants Donald J. Trump and Nancy Pelosi to be saved. That's what he's after. He doesn't want them in or out of office. It probably doesn't even matter that much to him. He wants them saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says that we should pray for our leaders in four different ways. I won't get into that, but I do want to say that the last one of them is thanksgiving. Now think about that. When was the last time you gave thanks for your leaders of our city, our county, our country, our state? Give thanks for them because God's called them to serve in that way. The Bible says no one... It's a position of authority unless God gives it to them. Trump, Obama, Pelosi, doesn't matter. If they're there, it's because God put them there. Thanksgiving. And he says that this, this praying in these four different ways is for our benefit. He says if we do this, our lives will be peaceful and quiet and they'll be godly and dignified. Sometimes I see things again on social media that are posted politically and there's no dignity in it whatsoever. It's childish, selfish, it's ugly. There's no dignity in it whatsoever. But more than that, more than than our benefit, the Bible says that it's good and it pleases God. And I have one question for you. Don't you, believer, want to please God? His desire is for everyone to be saved and know the truth. Listen, if you've got your your target set on a politician and they're evil, and there's plenty of them that are, not denying that in this message, they're evil because they aren't saved and they don't know the truth. But God's desire is that they are saved and that they know the truth. The last thing to remember, and all these things to remember about our approach to power and politics is that this world as we know it and every single nation on the face of this earth is passing away every single one of them i love 1st corinthians chapter 7 paul instructs those who have dealings with this world to live as if they didn't have dealings with this world and you know why this is the reason he gives for the present form of this world is passing away. Just an illusion. All coming to a crashing end. As much as we may value her, which isn't a bad thing to do, is as patriotic as we can be, America, home of the brave, land of the free, all that stuff, America is destined to end along with every other nation. Bible Bible commentator Charles Ellicott, one of my favorites, puts it this way in his commentary on our text we read today. He says, Christ came to be a witness, a martyr to the truth, and to send forth others to be witnesses and martyrs to the same truth through the Holy Spirit, who should guide them into all truth. Such was his kingdom, such the power by which it was to rule. It was not of this world. It possessed neither land nor treasury, neither senate nor legions, neither consuls or procurators, but it was to extend its scepter over all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus will rule all the earth. A day is coming when Christ will be enthroned right here on planet Earth to rule the entire universe from a world where borders, parliaments, constitutions have all become completely unnecessary. They've been dissolved because there will be enthroned a perfect, righteous, and just ruler. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. In light of this, In light of this truth, uh, the Apostle Peter asks a pertinent question. He says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we, that's us, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So listen to me. It's 2020, presidential election year. Vote your conscience. Do it. I encourage it. I'm not against... That kind of political engagement. Vote your conscience. Speak up whenever you see immorality, dishonesty, injustice. But more than that, love everyone. Love everybody. Pray for your leaders. Hold this world loosely as you live lives of holiness and godliness and advance the interests of the kingdom of God not the Republican or Democratic Party, advance the interests of the kingdom of God. And for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, do not let any political position divide you from your brothers and sisters in this body. I'm going to ask my communion workers to come. So, one of the beautiful things about communion, about the Lord's Supper, it takes all of us in all of our diversity, white, black, rich, poor, takes us all and from all our different backgrounds, Republican, Democrat takes us all and it makes us one. It it eliminates all those phony obstacles to unity that we have. Like I said, race, socioeconomic stuff, political stuff. It just eliminates all of those things and reminds us that there is one Lord, one faith, One baptism. And in those, we have become one body. One body. One king. One kingdom. And so, I want you to stand with me for a moment. And I want you to to just take a mental inventory. We're going to get real specific here. I want you to take a mental inventory about there's not a person in this room who hasn't had an opinion no sin in that about washington about leaders about the process that the impeachment's been a big deal there's nobody in here who hasn't had an opinion of it and i'm not here to say one bit your opinion is necessarily wrong not saying that but your opinion can be totally right and your attitude can be horribly wrong You can, you can, you can have it all figured out about how it should have gone down or how it should go down. You can have that all figured out and still provide tools in your heart for the enemy to bring division and separation and the breaking of the body. He can do that. This is the body that was to be broken, representing Jesus' broken body. This body is never to be broken. It is the enemy who is the accuser of the brothers. We don't accuse each other. We encourage each other. We exhort each other. While it's still called today, the, the Bible says. So I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about your personal interactions in the current political environment. I'm not talking about opinions. I'm not talking about things that you are are firmly convicted of as the truth or falsehood. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the way that you have kept the law of your homeland. Have you disagreed in love? Have you, have you seen people that take a different perspective of you and yet been absolutely committed to love and serve them as a brother and sister in the body of Christ? All of this is passing away. The present form of this world will be gone before we know it the kingdom of God will never pass away. So I just want you to take a moment to think about it. Think about what you posted on Facebook. Think about what you said about people in government, people in leadership. Think about your attitude toward them. And then I'm going to call you to have the guts as a man or woman of God to repent and ask God to help you to be someone who prays, your leaders who serves the people in the body you know that are on the political spectrum on the opposite side than you because this is my call as your pastor I'm calling us back to unity where the devil would have us so divided by things that are passing so think about it I don't know that this is the case but there may be people here that that. Maybe you've even harbored a bad attitude towards somebody else because of their positions on these things. Or maybe you've even said some things that were ugly. Maybe you just need to start there and just say, hey, I'm sorry, I let this divide us, and you are too important to me to let that happen. Go to them, have the courage. The Bible says you shouldn't offer your gift until you've resolved those things anyway. So you certainly shouldn't come for communion until you've resolved those things. Take a moment and do that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Don't just kind of wake me out here. Start asking the Holy Spirit about what's in your heart on these issues. Some of us need to repent for our prayerlessness for those that God has sovereignly placed in authority over us. Our lack of thankfulness for those leaders. Says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Not the old covenant, not the old rules, not the old politics. This is a new covenant. New kingdom established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Eat and drink in remembrance of what Christ has established, the kingdom of God that was at hand, that is now here and is increasing and will one day fill the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Or as often... As you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you so much for receiving our repentance today. God, we just want to lift up President Trump this morning. We pray that you would have your way in his life, that you would draw him to repentance That you would give him wisdom to lead and and integrity to lead in a way that honors you. Lord, we pray for Speaker Pelosi. We pray that you would just that you would just honor the God your your name through her, Lord, that you would cause her, like President Trump, to come to repentance, Lord, and to, to seek your kingdom. We pray that that however you do it, that both would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved, Lord. God, we pray for every member of the House, every member of the Senate. Pray for the judiciary. God, we pray for all of those who are in support of those those elected officials and appointed officials. And God, we ask that you would begin, however you do it, Lord God, to tear down godless power structures and allow a wave of healing and revival and repentance and submission to the to the glory of god to happen in our country lord god do it in washington and if you don't do it in washington do it among your people lord and let the voice of your people who stand god for your kingdom god let them be more Noticeable, even if we have to be martyrs like you, Lord God, let us be more noticeable to those who are looking than those who are who are foolishly seeking to obtain or preserve power. Lord, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us as is this season rolls around and it's going to get intense and it's probably going to get ugly sometimes Lord I pray that none of us would forget to which kingdom we belong and to which king we submit and Lord as we stand here at the at the, the moment where we partake of your body and drink of the cup Lord I pray that you would bind this body together bind us together tightly unbreakably Lord to serve you, to live for you, to die for you if necessary. Lord, we pray that we would always be found fighting for each other and not with each other, encouraging each other, admonishing each other. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Be with us, Lord. Help us to do what we can't do on our own. We ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. You can come to the table. If you're not standing go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read a benediction over you. And this was the uh the passage that was ringing in my ears as I prepared the comments I just made to you. So it's a little longer than normal, but I want you to really just focus on it. If you would, just place your hands in the receiving position as I read this passage over you. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him fills all in all. Amen and amen. You are dismissed.